0: All right, good morning, Journey, and Happy New Year. Hey, before we dig in this morning, I want to give you guys a a quick update. Over the month of December, we've been taking up our Big Give offering. If you are new or if you're not familiar with that, this is an offering that we receive uh, once a year where every penny of that offering goes to missions outside of our church. And so uh, it is a, a something that we believe in, something we invest heavily in as our staff, and we invite you guys to also... And I just want to give you an update. We are currently at $70,000. So that is well over where we were well over where we were last year. So I want to thank you guys for what you've done and for what you've given and I want you to know literally that hundreds of thousands of people will hear the gospel. Uh, because of what you sacrificed over the month of December. So again, just as one of the pastors here on behalf of the rest of the staff and team, I just want to tell you thank you before we get going uh, this morning. Hey, anybody made a New Year's resolution yet? Raise your hand. You got one you're working on? Come on, don't be ashamed of them. You're ashamed of them. You'll never accomplish them, right? It's, uh, you got one, right? You got one. There's things that, that maybe you sat down and thought through them. There's a movement right now in popular culture that says you shouldn't make resolutions because if you make them, they're just going to fail, right? And so just don't bother with it at all. I would stand in stark contrast to that and say that if you never know what you're aiming at, you're never going to hit it, right? And so you got to know what it is that you're wanting to accomplish in the coming year. So we as a staff have done that. Each individual over uh, the ministry area that we see and then our personal goals as individuals, we sat down and we said, hey, here's some things we want to accomplish, some things we want to see God do. Uh, in the year of 2020, and we shared those with other people, and we've let other people speak into them, and we've looked at them, we thought through them, and some of them we've already failed, right? Maybe you were there. Maybe you stopped by the cafe this morning, and you grabbed a donut, and one of your resolutions already out the window, right? It's gone. It's done with. Good news. There's still uh, over 300 days where you can get it right, right? You can keep starting over, and you can keep doing it. Uh, again, but but we know that whether or not you've made a resolution or not, that at some point in your mind, you sat down and you thought, you know what, 2020 will be better, or maybe even you're looking at decades. You go, this new decade will be better if, if I only had Blank. You fill in the blank. If I only had this, then this decade or this year would be better. It makes such a huge difference. And if I only had this, then I'd finally be satisfied and I'd finally be content with where I am and what's going on in my life. Maybe for you, it's man, if I only had a raise, right? If I only had a raise, you're not asking for much, just eighty, ninety thousand dollars, right? If I only had a raise, like a big one, then then things would be better and I would be content. Maybe it's more personal. Maybe you go, if I only had uh, a better marriage, then I would be more content, and things would be good, and and they would work better in my life, and things would be better in our home. Maybe for you, you look at yourself. You go, if I was only a better parent, then things would be better, and I would be content with my my life. And I'm gonna cut this microphone off because y'all don't want to hear that all day, do you? Right? I'm not content hearing that at all. For the next 20 minutes, <clears throat> I'm kidding. I'm preaching way longer than 20 minutes. All right, so. Uh, we look at things, though, and we go, man, I, if I just had this, then life would be better, and it would finally be all that I've hoped and dreamed that that it would be. But the truth of the matter is this. If you've lived a little while, you know this, that once you get the things you've always dreamed about, you begin dreaming about something else, right? That, man, I finally got it. I never thought I would be here, and now our life is this. Maybe our marriage is here, or maybe I'm making this, and you automatically You're thankful for about three days, and then you start going, man, but if I had this, right? If I only had this, then think of how much better it would be or what big a difference that it would have. And so we want to kick off a new year by looking at some of the most common things that we look at and go, if I only had whatever you want to fill in the blank right there, then life would be better, and this year would be way better than it was last year. But we want to start with something that affects all the others. And so we're going to look biblically at what it means for some of those things, and how God's word lines up with some things that we want most in our life. But I know this, that we'll never accomplish anything, we'll never reach any goal, we'll never make it through any resolution if we don't have discipline. And so today we kick off our series, If I Only Had, with the thought of, if I only had discipline. So we all have things that we want, and we want them now, right? If we want them right now. We're not really content to wait on them. We go to a fast food restaurant. Maybe you've lived this out in your own life. You pull up to the speaker. You order what it is that you want. Maybe you're at a restaurant that has a big M on the sign, and maybe you want some of the best French fries that you think the world has ever known. And so you order a large fry. You pull around to the window. You pay the kind person that's taking your money. You pull up to the next window where you are expecting to get your food. And the kind person at the window goes, hey, would you mind pulling forward? <laughs> that isn't how you respond, right? You don't laugh, do you? You're thinking in your mind, I thought this was fast food, right? This is supposed to be fast. I was not planning on waiting more than four minutes in line. I have other stuff that I have to do. It's not only that we want stuff, but we want it right now. We want it immediately. We're not really willing to wait for, for anything. We'll get on our phone. We'll order everything that we want from Walmart, whether that be groceries or paper towels or whatever it is that we want and we will hit a submit button it will give us a time that we're supposed to show up we will pull into the parking lot and we will wait we will hit the little thing on our phone says hey we're here when you know i'm here it's taking three minutes to get out in our car we're like what's waiting so long i don't understand everything that i ordered that you literally are bringing to my car and you're putting in my trunk for me why is it taking so long for you to get out here we want it we want it right now we want it uh, immediately. Maybe for you, it's text messaging, right? You send somebody a message and you're like, I saw the scene receipt, right? I know you saw it. You've seen my message. Why have you not responded to me yet, right? You should put your entire life on hold so that you can respond to the message that I sent to you. We want it and we want it immediately. We don't really have the discipline to wait on anything or, or to work for it. When I was growing up, there was something that taught us the ability to wait, but it also opened the door uh, that helped lead into a little bit of the culture we have where where technology is at our fingertips and we can find any of the information we wanted but it took a little while to get there so you could get to it but you had to be a little bit patient as it loaded and as it loaded and connected there was a sound that nobody in mankind should ever have to listen to again some of you know know what I'm talking about as your internet made the connection you shouldn't have to hear that again but 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 maybe you should so you guys check it out Yeah, there it is All right. Hey, that took forever, didn't it? I got like I've watched that video 10 times getting ready for this. That is a total of 28 seconds but it felt like a total of about 28 days. And and maybe you lived through that. You lived through the the phase of dial-up internet where you would get on the internet and maybe you were playing a game or maybe you were researching a paper or maybe you're doing something really important and you were on there and all of a sudden, mom realized she needed to make a call to the neighbor, right? And so she picks up the phone. Everything you've been working on is gone. It it taught you self-discipline. It definitely taught taught you patience, but we don't want to live through that anymore, right? I, I don't even want to log on the computer. I want to pick up my iPad or I want to pick up my phone and I want to be immediately connected. And if it takes more than about two seconds, I'm wondering what is wrong with your website, right? Why is this not loading right now? What is going on? Are they slowing down my phone on purpose? So I'll buy a new one, right? We want it. We want it right now, and we want it immediately. But listen, when we look into God's word, we find out that's not usually the case when it comes to him. Very few times does God give immediate gratification to anything. In fact, if you read through scripture, you see that Noah waited for years as he built the boat and he waited for the first drop of rain to fall. Moses roamed in the desert and took care of sheep for 40 years before a burning bush. God spoke to him and called him to lead his people uh, out of a nation where they were in bondage. Abraham was 100 years old before he found out that he was going to be a father, right? Let that sink in a little bit. 100 years old and all of a sudden he finds out that he's going to have a son. The nation of Israel went through A total of 400 years of silence as they waited for the Messiah just between the Old and the New Testament. You see, as you read Scripture over and over again, it isn't that we want something and God immediately gives it to us, right? We all want to lose 15 or 20 pounds and we want to wake up tomorrow and for it to be gone, right? But it doesn't work that way. And we see in Scripture over and over and over and over again that God often used time and discipline to bring about the things that he wanted to accomplish and the people he wanted to accomplish them through. In fact, write it down. To live for God and accomplish the things he has created you for will require time and discipline. Every single time. Look, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about this one. If you're going to live for God, if you're going to accomplish the things that he created you to live your life for, then every single time it's going to take an amount of time and it's going to take discipline on mine and your part. Now, growing up, I didn't much like the word discipline. I was a third child. If you've been here and heard me speak before, you know some of the things that I accomplished as a child. Uh, they were accomplishments to me, maybe not so much to to my parents. And so uh, I experienced discipline a lot. And so there was a lot of, hey, when your dad gets home, right, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be discipline. As a young child, I figured out a way out of it, right? And so I would start crying when my dad walked in the room. And after about two minutes, he hadn't even uh proceeded to get on to me yet, my mom would walk in and go, Gene, you leave him alone. That's enough. That's enough. My dad's like, I hadn't done anything. And I'm like, go, bye. See, see you later, right? Mom has spoken. We didn't like, we don't like it. In fact, even as a young adult, I prided myself in just going with the flow, right? I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm not going to, to practice a lot of discipline in life. I'm just going to see what God brings along, and then I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm just going to kind of roam through life, and whatever happens, happens. But that's not the way that God has called us to live. And look, I just want to suggest to you today, that's not the best way to live. That's not how you get the most enjoyment out of it. In fact, discipline is this. Here's what discipline is. It means to bring a state of order and obedience by training and control. How many of you wouldn't like to wake up in the morning and go, man, there is more order to who I am, right? There's more order to my life. There's more control to the things that I'm doing. I would bet if you're honest with yourself, that's every single one of us. Every person in this room would say, you know what, that's what I want. Well, the result of that is the act of discipline. And so as we live more disciplined lives, there's more order to the things that we're doing and more control to who we are and the actions that we take. And in fact, that's exactly what God wants to accomplish inside of you. Scripture says that when you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and then he begins to do some things to change you. And 2 Timothy says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, and we generally like to stop there, of love, and then look, and of self-discipline. That literally, the longer you walk with God and the closer you come to him, the more you will be a person that practices discipline in their life. And so tomorrow, this morning, to kick this off, we want to look at uh, the lives of three men that I believe practice discipline in their life. These three men, if you grew up in church, you grew up going to Sunday school, you grew up going to kids' worship, you've probably heard their story more than once. And it's three guys by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, but I want to take just a few minutes to catch you up to where we are in their story. And then we're going to dig into it. We're going to see some things that were true in their life as they live with discipline for their God that are true in our life also. That if we're going to be someone who experiences order and someone that experiences ultimately purpose and meaning in our life, then these things are going to be true of us also. So Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were Israelites. They were taken captive from their home as young adults by the nation of Babylon. They were taken to a completely different land. They were actually in the vicinity, in the city of Babylon, and the king had seen some potential uh, in these three guys and in a friend of theirs by the name of Daniel. And so they began to serve uh, in the king's household. And, and there's a lot went on in the first couple chapters. Uh, we don't have time to go through it, but if you get a chance, you can go check it out, see what's going on in their life. But ultimately, God just keeps showing them favor, and so they rise in ranks, and one night, the king has a dream. He's not sure what it means, and someone goes, hey, there was this guy named Daniel, and I think he has the ability to interpret dreams, and so the king brings him in, and sure enough, he tells Daniel his dream, uh, or Daniel tells him the dream, tells him everything uh, that it means and everything that's going to happen, and it describes what's going to happen in his nation of Babylon, and then the nations that conquered them goes down for about, uh, four different periods of time, and the king goes, hey, thanks, man, you're a really smart guy. I want you to stay really close to me. And so I want you working directly with me. Daniel goes, you have the ability to kill me, right? I will work directly with you if that's what you want me to do. And so he begins directly working with the king, and Daniel makes one request. He says, I ask that you put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of Babylon. And so I want you to put them directly in charge of the things that are taking place right here uh, in this city and in this place. I want them to decide what is going on and what decisions are made and, and what rules are passed and what laws are taking place. I want them to be the ones making those decisions. And so that's what happens. And then about 20 years later, the king builds his own statue, similar to the one that he had in his dream. But, but there's a little difference. Is This statue, most theologians would say, was made in his likeness. And so the king makes this huge statue, that looks like him. He must have thought he was dashingly handsome, right? If you guys look, here's a statue made for me. He puts it up on a platform, and then he calls representatives of all the areas in his kingdom, and he says, hey, I got all these guys up here on the platform. They're going to play music, and as soon as they play music, all of you guys are to bow down, and you're to worship the statue that I set up. But don't miss this. They were not just to worship the statue. They were to worship the one who the statue was made in the image of. And so ultimately, the king is saying, when the music starts to play, I want all of you and all the people that you represent to bow down and acknowledge how powerful I am. Right? You're to worship me. You're to bow down and you're to worship and to give reverence to me. It reminds me of President James K. Polk. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but he was a president of the United States and he was considered one of the most successful. In fact, in his time, he was considered the most successful president since George Washington. And so he added nine states to the Union out west. He also made the Republic of Texas part uh, of the United States of America. So there's a lot of things that just went on when he, he was president for, for, for a total of four years. And his wife was his secretary. This is the first time that a first lady had ever served in that role. And she was a little fiery lady. She, she outlawed a bunch of stuff that couldn't take place in the White House, and to be honest, if you read history, she probably was really hard to get along, but she noticed something that was happening, that her husband was having a lot of success, and there were a lot of things getting done, but he also was a very short man, and so literally, James K. Polk would have stood about here on me. I'm not a tall guy. Here's your other short man, and he would walk into a room, and according to history, literally, he would be in the room six or seven minutes before anybody even realized that he was there, and so they literally are looking over the top of him. So they don't even recognize that he is in the room. It irritates his wife to no end. Here's her husband who has worked. He's become what, what we know to be as the most powerful man in the world, certainly at the time the most powerful man in America, and nobody has given him the respect that he deserves. And so she decided that something needed to be done about it. And So she picked out a song that already existed, and she hired some band, band, band members and said, hey, every time the president walks into a room, your job is to play this song. And when the song is played, everybody is going to know that the president is in your presence, and they're going to give him the honor and the respect that he deserves. It happens still today. The song, Hell to the Chief, is played every time that the president enters a room, and people know that someone powerful and meaningful and a leader is here among us. So something similar is taking place here, but on a completely different level, right? It's not just acknowledge who I am, but worship, worship me for who I am. And so it happens, They start playing. A guy commands the instrumentalist. He goes, you guys start playing. Everybody begins to bow down to the statue except for these three men. They chose to be faithful to the God who has chosen them and loved them and called them to something important. And, And the first thing we see as we look at their life is this, is that they live with discipline, and discipline always requires an absolute commitment. If you're going to live with discipline in your life and enjoy the benefits of it, Right, the peace and the knowledge of knowing that your life is under control, then it begins with an absolute commitment. Look at the way it played out in the lives of these guys. This is Daniel chapter 3, and we'll start with verse 8. It says, but some of the astrologers, these are people that, that they made mad, don't like them because they're in charge, but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. There are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, and he ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, excuse me, and then they, they were brought in. But I want you to know that, that at some point in your life, if you're going to stand for something, there's going to be a moment like this for you. All right, I've got to make a decision. Right right now, I have to make a decision. In the midst of a moment, you're going to have to say, I have to make a decision. And if you hadn't prepared for it ahead of time, you won't be prepared to make it. But it's something that you have to decide on the front end. This wasn't a decision that these guys made in the heat of the moment. It wasn't as if they huddled up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and went, all right, what are we supposed to do here? They had trained their entire life knowing that I'm going to live my life to serve and to honor God. And if the moment ever comes, we're going to stand up for him. Right, and that's what they're doing. They prepare their entire life to live for God. The moment has arrived, and now they're going to live it out, but it began with a stake in the ground type of moment. For the moment where they said, this is who I'm going to be, these are the decisions that I'm going to make, or these are the changes that are going to exist in my life, and if you want to accomplish anything, you got to have that moment too. It starts right there. When, when I was growing up, I was at my granddad's every summer, and my granddad believed in child labor, and, uh, Maybe you had a grandparent like that too, and he had a garden, a large garden, and his plan was for us to, to take care of his garden. And so every year he would begin to till it up as the time of the year came along. And most times school wasn't out yet. And so we would go on a on a weekend and we would help and he would till the entire place that he wanted his garden. As a kid, it felt like about 180 acres. And and he would till it and then he would do something. He would take a stake and he would drive it into the ground. And then he would attach a string to it. And he would go all the way to the other end of his field, and he'd drive a stake in the ground there, and he would attach a string to it. And then there were plows that me and my brothers were supposed to push along that line. And it gave us guidance as to where we were supposed to go. In other words, this is where I want the row to be. And so we would plow the row. We'd come in. We'd plant seeds. Hopefully, in a couple of months, you'd get a tomato that wasn't eaten by worms, right? You'd get to enjoy it, or maybe you get the honor of shelling peas for hours on end, right? That was what you got to do. But it began, first off, by him putting a stake in the ground. And when he put the stake in the ground, he would attach a line to it, and we would know where we were supposed to go. I want you to know that there should be stake-in-the-ground moments in your life. There should be moments in your life where you look back and you go, that was the moment that I knew our marriage was going to be different. That was the day that I decided, that things were going to be changed. And I wasn't just going to hope for things to be different, but I was going to start doing the things that were necessary to have a different outcome in our relationship, right? It's a stake in the ground type of moment. You you should have had that, that, that moment in your relationship with God. If you hadn't in just a moment, we're going to give you a chance to do it. But it's a day, it's a moment that you can look back on and you go, in that moment, I remember surrendering my life to Christ. And from that moment, from that day forward, everything changed. These guys had that moment. And they were living out another one of those moments in this story. But they had already made the decision that things were going to be a little bit different. Jesus put it this way. He called a crowd to join his disciples. This is the book of Mark. And he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross. Look, that's the stake in the ground type of moment. I'm giving up my life and I'm going to choose to follow him and follow me. That's it. Like there should be a moment, if you have created hopes and dreams for 2020, maybe you have resolutions and you said, here's what I want to do, this is what I want to accomplish, but you haven't put a plan behind them, that's all you got, right, is, is a hope. Maybe you've gone so far as you said, here's what I want to accomplish. Maybe you said, you know what, I want to get in better shape, I want to lose 30 pounds and I'm going to do it by eating clean and working out four days a week, right? You've put a plan behind it. Now, now you got a goal, there's something Uh, that you're aiming at, but if you never sit down and say, here's something that I want to accomplish, then there's never anything for you to commit to, and you're never going to accomplish anything except by accident, and these guys were not living that way. They were living on purpose, and they were living with meaning, and they were living with commitment, so I want to give you just some advice on on how to start. You may be thinking, man, I want my marriage to be better. I want my finances to be better, but I don't know what to do with it, so here, jot this down. Start it small. Do it right, and build it strong. Start it small, do it right, and build it strong. Some of the mentor of mine taught me when I was just 17 years old and I was lost in ministry. I had no idea what it was I was supposed to be doing. He said, pick one thing, do it right. right, Just start right there. Pick one thing, do it right. Do it consistently. Start it small, do it right, and then you will begin to see it built strong. God is the one that will begin to build it. So I want to encourage you to just do that. Maybe you go, man, I just want to quit wasting so much money. Maybe your one small thing is, I'm not going to eat out unless I'm on a date with my spouse. Maybe that's it. You're I'm, I'm not going to waste that money anymore. That's one small thing that you can do. Maybe you go, I want a better relationship with my spouse. One small thing, we're going to pray for two minutes before we go to bed each night. Maybe you want a better relationship with God as you go into the new year. And You go, you know what, instead of hitting the alarm clock for the fifth time, I'm only going to hit it four, and I'm going to get up ten minutes earlier than what I normally do, right? And I'm just going to open up God's word and I'm going to read for five minutes, right? You're not trying to read whole chapters or whole books. I'm just going to read for five minutes. Wherever that ends, it's going to end. And then I'm going to spend five minutes in prayer. You're starting something small. You continue to do it right. And you will begin to see God move and do things in your life that you would not think were possible. But it begins with a moment where you go, this is going to be different. And then it ends with you saying, this is something that I'm going to be absolutely committed to, and ultimately our commitment belongs to God and to God alone. So we live a life of discipline by living with commitment, and then we live with discipline, but it also requires confidence. It requires confidence to live with discipline. It plays out this way as we continue to read in the book of Daniel. So certainly the music plays, everyone bows down, these three men remain, On their feet, people point out that they're not doing what they're supposed to. The king goes irate. He loses his cool. How dare someone stand against him? And then they're brought before him. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego give an account to the king. And it goes like this. "Oh Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But listen, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never, look at that unwavering commitment, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. It's confidence. It's not a confidence in their self. They're not going, hey, man, we're really fast, like good luck trying to catch us. As soon as you send soldiers, we're going to run, and no way you can run us down. We're faster than anybody here. They're not saying that. They're not going, we're strong. Like, send them. Send your best men. Let's see what they can do. We'll fight it out right here on the platform in front of everybody. Because their confidence is not in themselves. Their confidence is in the God who has created and called them. They say, look, King, I want you to know something. We're not going to bow down to the kids of the statue that you've created. We're not going to worship your gods. And our God has the power to save us. It's a simple way of going, you think you're the most powerful person here? You're not. There is one who has ultimate power and authority, and that's the one that we're serving and the one that we're bowing down to. And so they stand before the king with confidence that there is a God who can save them. Notice, they they acknowledge, hey, he can, but he might not. Right, he can save us. And so there's confidence in knowing that there is a God who can do anything, a God that there is nothing that is impossible with. But, But listen, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance and you may not notice it, but I promise you everybody around you does, (laughs) right? They notice it. Nobody wants to be around a person that has crossed the line from confidence to arrogance, where it goes from saying, man, there's a God who can accomplish anything through me to man, I can do this, right? This is me. I got it. I got what it takes. You just follow me. You depend on me. I got it. I can accomplish this. You need something done, then you call me. I'm the guy to do it. I want you to know that if, if that is you, People do not praise you in secret, right? They're not talking well about you. They're going, all right, we got to go be around Jimmy today, right? Prepare yourself. Are you ready? We're going to hear about everything good that has happened in his life and how he's the reason because of it, right? I just pulled myself up. There's a difference. And if we're not careful as believers, real quickly we go from saying there's a God to accomplish, who can accomplish anything to we can accomplish anything, and you can't. In fact, Scripture is clear. It says we can't do anything apart from the person of Christ and God working inside of us. So our confidence is not arrogance, but our confidence is in the one who can do anything through us. And Joshua, God commanded uh, Joshua this way. He said, this is my command. I want you to be strong and to be courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Why? Here's where the confidence comes from. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want you to know that these are three men who most definitely had read the account of Joshua, they understood that they could be confident and that they could be bold and that they could be courageous, not because of who they were, but because of who their God was. And I want you to know you can be the same way. You can be bold and you can live the next year with boldness and confidence, not because of who you are, because in your own ability, but because there is a God who has created you, who loves you, who cares for you, and who wants to work through you. And so living with discipline will always require a little bit of confidence. You should know that there is a God living inside of you that can accomplish anything, but it also requires consistency. Living with discipline requires consistency. It isn't enough to be faithful one time, right? These men have been faithful over and over and over and over again, and they were going to be consistent whether or not God came through or not. So in the story, if you pick it up, Nebuchadnezzar tells his workmen to to heat the fire up seven times more than what it already is. Now, he he's not being legit. He's just saying, hey, I want you to get it as hot as you can possibly get it. And so they go and they do that. They get the fire as hot as they possibly can get it. Shedrat, Meshach, and Abednego are tied with ropes. Their hands are tied with ropes for no other reason than they don't want to cause harm to the people that are about to throw them in the fire. So they bind them up and they march them toward the furnace. And they begin to walk toward the furnace and They get so close that eventually the men who are throwing them in the furnace are burned alive. It's so hot, and they end up in the furnace. They land on their bats in the midst of the flames. And I want you guys to know this, that I I think, this is me, this is Daniel's opinion. I would assume that although we look at them and we see heroes, they're also just normal men, right? At every moment, I bet they were going, God, you can show up now, (laughs) right? Go ahead. They're standing up. Everybody is bowing down around them and they're living the moment, they're being faithful, and they're thinking, God, we know you can do anything, but it'd be nice if you did it right now. Like, go ahead, right now, look, all these people around, all of a sudden there's some people pointing at them that don't like them. They're going, hey, look right there, those guys we don't like, the the people that the king has put in charge, the ones telling you all what to do. Look at what they're doing. They're not even doing what they're supposed to do. I would imagine right then they're going, hey, God, we're going to be faithful, but, man, it'd be nice if you showed up right now that the king goes, you know what? They're right. They shouldn't be bowing down to me. This isn't about me. There's someone more powerful and stronger than me. And so you're right. Just go ahead. And God shows up and they go, whew, that, that was a close one, right? I imagine when they're walking up to meet with the king, I don't imagine they're just walking with complete boldness. There's a little bit of fear inside of them going, this could be it. right? This could be the day that our life ends, but we're going to do what we're supposed to do anyway. And they're walking to the platform. And I imagine they're thinking, We've done a lot for the king. It'd be nice if God reminded him of that right now, right? God, go ahead, remind him of it. Remind him of all the things that we've done for him. They're standing before him. This guy's losing his temper, right? He's probably spitting all over the people in front of him. He's so mad. and He's angry. It's complete loss of control. And he's losing his mind. And I imagine they're going, hey, guys, like, ooh, right now. Like, now would be a good time to show up. Like, if you just dropped him dead, like, if he died of a heart attack, they wouldn't think it was our fault. God, right now, just go ahead. gone. Let let him be taken care of. I imagine that when they're getting ropes putting around their hands, they're going, God, hey, look, man, we're going to serve you. But like it's getting close. It's getting close. It would be nice if we didn't have to go through through this at all. And then as they're marching toward the furnace, certainly at that point, they're thinking that we serve a God who can show up. But at this moment, he might not. He might choose not to. And I want you to know that that is a choice that God can make. He might choose not to show up. He might choose not to come through in the moment. And it's in those moments, it's in those difficult times that we often throw discipline to the side. And we go, all right, I don't need it right now. It worked for a little while. Now I'm just gonna to try to get out of this. Right, I don't need it. I don't need to be disciplined in my time with God this morning because I was up late last night watching the national championship game. And so I'm just going, I'm gonna push it to the side, right? I'm not gonna practice discipline right here. I'm gonna to choose to love my spouse until they begin to do something that I don't agree with, and our first argument begins to happen again. I'm not, I'm not going to follow through. I'm not going to practice discipline in this area anymore. I'm going to push it to the side for just a moment. I'm going to act however I want to, and then afterwards I, I can pick that back up. It's the difficult times. It's the difficult times that determine really how disciplined we are, but it's when the difficult times show up that we normally fail to practice discipline. And then, listen, think through this. If there was a God who always rescued those who were true to him, then we wouldn't need faith. And so things won't always work out in your favor. I want you to hear me on this. They won't always work out in your favor. There are pastors right now all over America telling people just how favored they are and that 2020 is going to be their year. And they're about to experience the exact same thing they finished in 2019. Because God isn't a puppet for us to control. Living for him requires faith and and the understanding that I'm going to live for him and I'm going to be consistent even if he doesn't show up, right? Even if he doesn't act in this moment, even if he doesn't change my circumstances, I'm going to still be faithful to him. In fact, the God of immediate gratification doesn't require faith at all. It's in the waiting where that faith is developed. And I want you to know that at the end of this story, we're going to finish it up in a minute, but I want you to know that all the waiting that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through, even if it was only a period of 30 minutes, that that 30 minutes of waiting increased their faith in God like nothing else that they could have went through in life. It's in the waiting where God makes himself real. It's in the waiting where he makes a difference. In fact, jot this down. The presence of silence never equals the absence of God. There are oftentimes we're walking through things and we think God is being silent, and he is. And we think, well, he must not be here. We go, God, where are you? My kids are out of control I raised them to follow you and to know you, and they're living something completely different than what we raised them to do. So God, where are you? Why are you being silent right now? God, my marriage is in shambles. I don't want it to be that way. God, my finances are in shambles. I don't want them to be that way. And Lord, I'm praying, but I don't seem to hear you saying anything. I don't hear you saying anything. God, where are you? Where are you? I want you to know that he's right next to you. Because the silence of God never means that God isn't there. In fact, he is there walking with you in the midst of it. And we see that Nebuchadnezzar realizes it too. They throw him in the fire and Nebuchadnezzar begins to have a conversation with the people next to him. And he jumped up in amazement. He exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? And his, his advisors respond, King, you are better at math than anybody I know. Absolutely. We tied up three men. We put the three men in the furnace. That's what we put in there. You're absolutely right. Yes, your majesty. That's what we did. And then exclamation points are are written for a reason. He says, look, he shouted, And he said, I see four men. And they're unbound and walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth one looks like a God. Don't miss it. They still ended up in the fire, right? I promise you, they didn't want to be there. They ended up in the fire, but God met them in the fire, right? He was there. In fact, most theologians would say that this is the person of Jesus. The incarnate person of Jesus chose to come and he chose to be with these men as they walked through a very difficult situation in life. And he said, hey, I'm here with you. And the only thing that happened was the things that bound them, the things that held them back were loosened. So when you're going through a difficult time in life and you're choosing to practice this one and you're choosing to remain faithful to the God has called you, I want you to know that he is in the midst of the fire and he is there walking with you and there is more freedom in the fire with Jesus than there is outside of it, all right? There's more freedom in the fire with Jesus than the comfort that comes outside of it. And if we don't learn anything today, I want you to know that. that when times are difficult, there is still a God who is right there with you, and he's still working, and he's still active. And that's why Paul tells us in Galatians, let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we do not, what, give up. You'll reap it, and it'll come. It's the, it's the whole sowing and planting thing. It's all throughout the Bible. You'll reap a harvest of blessing only, though, if you do not give up, if you don't give up, you might have walked in today thinking about giving up. Maybe you walked in and you thought, you know what, I've been hurt by church a lot, but it, but I'm going to try that church right up there on the street. I'm going to try them. If it don't work out, then I'm done with this religion stuff, right? I'm done with this Jesus guy. I'm just going to give up. Maybe you walked in your marriage was on the rocks and you thought, you know what, I'm going to give him or her one more try, and then I'm done. I'm just giving up. I'm going to quit. Maybe you walked in and you were trying to do the right things with your finance. You started on January 1 and then your buddies called. And they are like, hey, we're going to eat Mexican. You want to go? <laughs> and you you, get, you you thought, man, I don't want to tell them that I'm not spending money on that. And so, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm going to give them maybe this whole budgeting thing in for me. Right? Man, that's not not what I'm supposed to do. Maybe it is that getting up early in the morning or staying up late and spending time with God. and you're, I'm, just, I'm just really not seeing any effects of it. And so... I think I'm going to give up, I would end today by saying, don't you dare give up. Don't you stop. Scripture is clear. You'll reap a harvest of blessing, but only if you do not give up. I want you to hear this, that if you give up, you're only you're only guaranteeing that it will never happen. If you give up doing the right things in your marriage, you're only guaranteeing that your marriage will never experience the blessing of God. Right? That, that's what you're guaranteeing. If you give up handling your finances in the way that God has laid out in his word, then you're only guaranteeing that you will never experience that financial blessing of God. If you give up spending time with God, investing in that relationship, then you will never experience a close relationship with him. So let's walk outside of the doors and let's take on 2020 with a commitment to be people who are mature and a people who are willing to live with discipline, not just for discipline's sake, because we know there is a God that we can have confidence in and there is a God that we can trust. And there's a God that is walking right beside us, no matter how difficult a hard life is. There's a few next steps we want to walk through, and then we'll wrap up our time together this morning. Maybe your next step is simply to begin to live with discipline in some certain area of your life. I don't know what that is. I mentioned a few, but, but there's a lot more. And I would dare say that as soon as we got into it this morning, it started coming to your mind over and over again. And God was saying, hey, it's the area that you need to get in control, right? Today is the day that you need to put a stake in the ground, and you need to say from this day, January the 5th, 2020, things are going to be different in this area of my life. I'm going to start living in a way that honors God in this area, and I'm committed to it. It's something that I'm going to stick to. It's something that I'm going to walk through, and I have courage going into it because of the person that is inside of me. I have confidence in who he is. Jot it down. No, there are people all over the room, and yeah, it's true. Somebody might look, and they might see what you're writing down. They very well might, but I can tell you it's a risk worth taking. Go ahead and write it down. Your spouse may see it. It might be about them. You might spark something that had not been there in years, right? Write it down. Go ahead. Jot it on a paper. Say, this is something that's going to be different in my life in the year 2020. Maybe a next step for you is times are tough, and they're hard, and they're difficult, and maybe you walked in wondering where God was. And maybe your next step is just this simple. I'll trust God even though my circumstances don't seem to make sense to me. And you know what I am. I keep walking, inching closer and closer to the fire, but I'm going to choose to trust that there is a God who can deliver me. And if he chooses not to, right, if I don't get the diagnosis that I want, there's a God who is going to walk through the fire with me, right? He is there, and he's going to walk with me. Maybe that's your next step It's just choosing to trust in. And who God is. But maybe it's the ultimate stake in the ground decision you need to make today. You say, you know what, today I'm going to surrender my life to God. That this is the day, this is the year that I quit trying to change myself. And I quit trying to accomplish everything on my own. That that this year, I'm going to surrender my life to him. And I'm going to give him control. And I'm going to let God do what he wants through, through my life this year. Hey, would you guys pray with me? Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. God, I think for fun stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God, may we never get so familiar with them that they don't amaze us anymore. God, thank you for the example of three men who stood for you no matter the cost. Lord, right now there's over 300 men women in this room. God, I pray when people look back on our lives, they'll say the same thing. That there was a man or there was a woman that stood for God no matter the cost. God, I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that you love us. Lord, I thank you that you're a God who saves. Lord, as Nebuchadnezzar said when when he ended the events, he said, truly, there is no other God who can save like this. And, Lord, that's what you want to do this morning. So Lord, we invite you to do it. If you would, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to consider something. How's your relationship with God? Where is it? Does it exist at all? Scripture says this. It says that there's a God who created you. He loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. But there's decisions that we have made that have messed up that plan and that purpose. The Bible calls it sin. It's things that we do that willfully go against God's will. We miss the mark, if you will, on what He set for us. Scripture is real clear. It says that the wages of that sin is death. But listen, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm-hmm. What that means is that because of what you've done and what I've done, we deserve to die. But there was a God who loved you enough to die for you. Jesus chose to come and to become one of us. He lived for 33 years, a sinless life. He was willingly nailed to a cross he gave his life so that you could be in a right relationship with God. The Bible says if you simply confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That relationship can begin right here today. Oh, you know, there's a lot of decisions you can make going into the next year and the next decade. And a lot of, they'll change your life in a lot of ways. But there's one decision that you can make this morning right here that will change your eternity. And if you hadn't made it, I want to encourage you to make it. You can surrender your life to God right here this morning by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came and paid the price for my sins. I believe that you were buried, that you rose again. Today I give my life to you. If you said that prayer this morning, I want you to do something for me. There's a card in front of you that has next steps on it. Would you just jot it down on there? Just write your name down. Write that you made the decision to trust Christ. We don't want to harass you. We want to celebrate with you. We want to put some things in your hands that will help you as you begin to walk with him day by day. On that daily basis, you begin. You start small, and you see God begin to do big things in your life. You can jot it down. You can drop drop an offering plate as it comes by we have a VIP room in the back, you can drop it in here. Hey, maybe you're a believer and you've just been kind of coasting through life. And if you look at your life, you go, man, this is really a life without discipline. And you say, you know, I want this year to be different. I want to live with purpose. I want to live with discipline because There's a God who deserves my ultimate commitment, and I know I can trust him because he's walking with me. And I I just want to be consistent in the things that I know he wants me to do. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I just want to pray for you this morning. So I want to be more consistent this year going into 2020. I see you guys' hands there and all over the room. I just want to pray for you this morning. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for who you are. God, I thank you that when we are, are faithless that you're still faithful. God, that when we're not consistent, you are still God, and you are still active, and you are still moving. But Lord, like so many people that raise their hand this morning, I want to experience the order and peace that comes from living for you. So God, would you remind us, Lord, that ultimate freedom is found not in doing whatever we want, but ultimately. It's found in living by your standards. God, I love you. I think for everyone that just raised their hand and said, hey, this year is going to be different. It's stake in crown. We're going to do something different this year. God, may you write that on their hearts and not just on their minds. God, may we go make a difference in the river region in 2020. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.